Hello. Welcome to our first podcast of From Here to Health. This podcast is supported by Appalachian State University's Beaver College of Health Sciences and the Blue Cross North Carolina Institute for Health and Human Services. Our mission is to take health to new heights by creating new knowledge, collaborating with regional health care providers, and training future health professionals to meet the needs of our rural mountain communities and beyond. With this podcast, I will be interviewing Appalachian State University faculty about the health-related questions they are addressing, the problems they are attempting to solve, and what drives them to do the important work they're doing. My first guest is Dr. Caroline Smith. Dr. Smith earned a Bachelor of Science degree and PhD from Loughborough University in the United Kingdom. Her BS degree was in human biology and her doctoral work focused on thermal physiology. She went on to complete a postdoctoral fellowship at the Pennsylvania State University. Currently, Dr. Smith is an associate professor in the Department of Public Health and Exercise Science at Appalachian and is the director of the Thermal and Microvascular Physiology Laboratory, which focuses on human thermoregulation and physiological responses to environmental stressors. Welcome, Caroline. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to come in and talk to you. Tell me a little bit about how you got here. What brought you into this world of research and health and science, and uh, what got you started? So really, I fell into my PhD somewhat. I completed a um, human biology degree at Loughborough University and took an environmental physiology class with Professor George Havaneth. was very interested and ended up doing a PhD with him uh, that was actually funded by uh, Adidas. Did you know early on high school and college, did you know that you wanted to go into something science related or have any idea? I knew in high school, I mean, our system is, is very different in the UK, um, but I did know I wanted to go into science and I really, really enjoyed biology. And so that's really just the route I took simply because of my interests, not really knowing what career um, I was going to end up choosing. Okay. And so you got into your doctoral work and you kind of evolved during your doctoral work into the area that you're in now? Yeah, I think it's interesting, exciting, because I don't think you always know where you're going to end up or where your research is going to go. So during my PhD, uh, which was in thermal physiology, uh, again, it was funded by Adidas, and we, we developed sweat maps. So we developed a new technique for measuring sweat rate over a large body surface area, which really hadn't been uh, done. And again, that has relevance for clothing design um, and kind of sports apparel. I then moved to Penn State University in 2010, um, and we, we looked at vascular signaling, and I learned techniques that I now use in my current research. And so it's kind of combining different areas, and I've kind of evolved to find a niche area that's understudied and that I really enjoy and, and hope will be impactful um, with, with, again, the current research I'm doing. So why Penn State? Was that a, a calculated thing to come to the United States and, and, and continue your studies? You know, this is a great moment to really highlight the importance of collaboration and um, networking. So I actually went to a conference in Boston in, uh, I think it was around August of, of, 20, of 2009, and I met some uh, individuals from all sorts of universities, but particularly Professor Larry Kenny and Lacey Alexander from Penn State. We started to, to talk about research and our interests, and I ended up being offered a postdoctoral fellowship 
through that connection and after they watched me present my work at that, that conference. And what about after that? What made you decide, okay, I'm going to stay here, I'm going to um, pursue academic um, work at a university? Well, I love research, absolutely love research. And I'd done a little bit of teaching um, during my postdoc, and so I really like that balance of being able to interact with students, teach, but also engage in the research, which I do feel is important for students as well, and, and critical thinking, engaging them in real-world problems. And so when I was looking for positions, App State really gives you that nice balance of teaching and research. We're very spoiled. We have incredible facilities in Leon Levine Hall. Um, and so students get to interact with you in the classroom, but also engage in research, critical thinking. And again, we get them out into the community uh, trying to deal with real-world problems and finding research gaps. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about thermal physiology. This is, a, I guess, an applied area of physiology. Um, it's not really, is it a niche area of physiology? How big is it? Yes and no. I think it spans uh, many things. So more broadly, environmental physiology can encompass physiological responses, performance and operation at different environmental extremes. So that could be altitude, that could be hyperbaria, so diving physiology, that can be heat, that can be cold, and more so now multi-stressor environments. If you go to altitude, you're engaging in cold and, and hypoxic environments. And so environmental physiology encompasses a lot of environments. Um, thermal physiology, we're obviously really looking at temperature regulation, which is becoming extremely relevant when we look at uh, changes in global climate um, and understanding how people will respond, who's at risk, uh, and mitigation strategies with, with global climate change. So did you understand climate change before understanding climate change was cool? Or uh, <laughs> is this something you didn't predict when you were uh, getting into this area of work? I think things have evolved, obviously, you know, like many things do. I think now because it's, um, you know, a, a huge issue, again, environmental extremes, meaning we could go, you know, either direction. Um, I think it's now just coming into almost the mainstream for a lot of people. And that can engage physiologists, that can engage physicians, that engages, you know, mathematicians, phys physicists, when you think about the biophysics of, of heat transfer. And again, mitigation strategies and understanding cooling and, and environments and, and other stresses that are placed on people. Um, so I think it's definitely um, ended up expanding into many more broader areas. So it's definitely uh, an interdisciplinary area if Enormously. To be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're making a really good point that I think now more than ever, interdisciplinary teams are really needed to address some of these real world um, kind of issues. Great. So tell us a little bit about your interdisciplinary work that you do your, with your colleagues and where you're really focusing right now in your work. Yeah. So a number of years ago, I actually had a conversation with a colleague at NC State that really started getting me thinking about exposure. And so this is a, just a, a facet, kind of a niche area in environmental uh, physiology where I started looking at exposure to kind of pollutants and carcinogens, uh, I think chemicals and substances that are potentially harmful, and really looking at an understudied route of exposure, which is dermal absorption or, or what can get through the skin. And so... Obviously, humans are exposed to all sorts of stresses, including things like pollution, but certain occupational groups have a, a, a higher exposure. And so I started working with um, the fire service and uh, Boone Fire Department, who've been 
um, incredibly cooperative and I want to take an opportunity to thank um, Chief Isaacs, who's really worked with us, collaborated us, with us on these projects, to really start examining the skin exposure and absorption of contaminants, even when firefighters are wearing uh, their PPE, so their personal protective uh, equipment, um, including their respirators and their turnout gear. So talk to me a little bit more about how you're doing this work. How are you taking these measurements? Yeah, so we're taking a novel approach to understand dermal absorption. It's, it's kind of a tricky thing to measure. Most people take blood samples and look at metabolites in urine to understand exposure, often before an exposure, kind of three to six hours afterwards, and then 12 and 24 hours afterwards. But it's problematic in the sense you don't know how quickly something got into the body and you don't always know the exposure route. So what we're doing is using a technique called intradermal microdialysis, where we place a really teeny tiny hair-like catheter underneath the skin. And that basically has a kind of semi-permeable membrane that will allow some of these substances we want to measure to enter the membrane once they've gone into the skin. We flush the membrane and we can actually measure the quantity of a particular substance of interest, which a collaborator at uh, University of Indiana Bloomington does that fabulous work. Uh, We're specifically trying to look at PAHs, which are a a large class of chemicals called polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. They're produced from uh, kind of combustion products, so in fires, exhaust fumes, smoking. Um, We're also looking at things like VOC, so volatile organic compounds, um, and we're looking at uh, PFAS, which is perfluoral alkylated substances. And these are all substances of interest because they can be harmful to human health in terms of cancer risk and cardiovascular disease. How are you setting up this type of research? Do you bring firefighters into your lab? Do you do a a pre-assessment and then they go fight fires and they come back in? How does this all work? So this has been an evolution of research, I think, like anything is. Um, Initially, we started this work in around 2018 uh, with my uh, former grad student. Um, We actually looked at doing controlled laboratory studies where we expose people to a substance that we get FDA approval for. And we look at how that's getting through the skin through a novel technique where we place an intradermal microdialysis fiber. It's a tiny, tiny little catheter underneath the skin. And we can look at what's getting through the skin based on what ends up in that fiber, that catheter that we, we flush periodically over several hours. So we were really interested in that as a model, checking we could measure what we wanted to measure and, and use this approach. We then started working with the fire department where we would bring them into the lab to do some baseline testing at the university in, in Leon Levine Hall. And then we actually go out to their training burns. Uh, it's a structure, structural acquisition. So we go out to buildings that they are um, burning And when the firefighters have come out of the fires, we insert the catheters under the skin and we can actually assess what has been absorbed. And this, as you said, is is very interdisciplinary. So I send the samples off to collaborators. We've been working with NC State. I'm currently working a lot with uh, Indiana University Bloomington um, to do this work. And we've also uh, got some other avenues of research we're looking at with other occupational groups. So you're actually going out to the location of fires and and taking measurements from them when they come out. We are. So in a very, in as controlled a way as possible, we work with the fire department that when the firefighters complete their training burn, their rotation from the building, the fire is not part of our study. Um, but once they've come out of the fire and have been checked by the appropriate medical professionals, they come to us. 
and then we perform our um, procedures. We're currently doing a study where we bring them back into the lab within 36 to 48 hours and do some follow-up testing, not only looking at what's getting through the skin, what's happening to that within the 36 to 48 hours, and also we're doing some kind of vascular testing because the current leading causes of death in firefighters are number one, cancer, and that was stated um, on the CDC website in January 2023, and then it's sudden cardiac death and cardiovascular disease. So we really want to understand what they're being exposed to, what's getting through the skin, because that's a highly understudied route. Most people focus on inhalation and ingestion. And we really want to start looking at mitigation measures to help improve their health and safety. So how do you get alerted to these fires and that you need to go out there? Is an alarm in your lab that goes off? And then do you have a pole that you slide down to <laughs> get into your car and, and nothing, go? Nothing quite that dramatic, I'm afraid. Um, so we work with um, uh, Chief Isaacs, the Boone uh, Fire Department chief, and he notifies us of an upcoming training burn, um, again, structural acquisition. Um, and we, we get prepared. Obviously, this is all IRB approved. And we... Uh, we work with them usually several weeks ahead of time. We would like to move forward in the future and have discussed this with the fire department actually going to live 911 calls. Um, and so we're, we're trying to look to move towards that to really better understand a true exposure in an emergency situation. Currently, we are doing training burns. And so the exposure is a little different from a, a 911 emergency structural call. So how long ago was it that you started working with firefighters in this type of research? So really, we started working probably around 2019 was one of the first fires we went out to. Uh, we did several last year in 2022, and we're hoping to finish up one of our research studies and get this, this research published um, next year. Well, because it's getting more and more relevant. I mean, the number of fires popping up, it's, it's a nonstop. There's fires everywhere all the time at this point in time, right? I so. think it's, it's a really important topic. And... One that I think is very understudied. Um, some, there are some phenomenal scientists doing work, things like Kenny Fent, Gavin Horn. There are groups of, of researchers doing some excellent work in this area, but I still think it remains underfunded um, and understudied. And it is challenging to get funding. We're continuing to, to look for funding um, to continue this line of research. Um, but you're right, it's, it's, it's a continued issue. I think recognizing the cancer risk uh, is important and therefore understanding how we can mitigate this. But the first step is is understanding what's getting through the skin and how quickly. And that really is not known. And that's where our, our novel technique of placing a catheter under the skin and, and flushing that catheter um, really allows us to look at what actually gets through the skin, how quickly. And the other things we're interested in looking at are differences in body region and also temperature. So we're running lab studies as well at the moment where we're investigating dermal absorption in kind of the groin, where the skin is thinner. We do the arm, because that's more typical average skin thickness. And we do the neck as well with the firefighters, because that's a junction point uh, of where their hood sits. And so we need to understand, um, do they have regional variation in exposure, um, absorption, and what's the time course? And hopefully this will lead to... Um, understanding how we can improve decontamination procedures and, again, maybe reduce their exposure. So uh, does this type of work cost much money? It sounds like it could, but I have no idea. Yeah, this work is quite complex. Um, we do have medical oversight, so we have medical personnel uh, with us. Um, we have to purchase the intradermal microdialysis fibres, which are not cheap. 
Um, we also have to have, you know, purchase certain chemicals and, and things that we do use in these procedures and, you know, all sorts of consumables. So it does cost thousands of dollars to do this research. Unfortunately, it's hard to get funding and, and, and in some of these areas it's hard to get funding. So we are continuing to write grants, apply for apply for funding and we are looking for some avenues um, of potential funding to continue this derm absorption work in groups like firefighters. It seems like the the newscasters are doing everything they can to support this kind of work. I, I can't imagine that the funding opportunities wouldn't open up more with the amount of fires that are prevalent now and, and the, the need for more information on how to keep these folks safe. There's certainly a lot in the news, particularly with the wildland firefighters, which that's a, and a whole other issue when you look at exposures and duration times. So that's definitely a, a very timely topic. Um, I hope more funding becomes available to understand these exposures and, and really um, help mitigate some of the risk. Um, really, in, uh, importantly, in 2022, IARC, which is the International Agency for Research on Cancer, reclassified firefighting as a class one, which means it's carcinogenic to humans. And so I'm really hoping this you know, can help um, with, with funding and, and really with um, improving long-term health and safety in, in firefighters. So what other groups of people are you uh, currently investigating with these techniques or, or want to investigate in the future? So I think this has relevance to a lot of other occupational groups and also the general population when you consider exposure to things like pollution, car fumes and so on. But we do actually have a, a grant, the PI is uh, Dr. Zach Schlader, who's at Univers University of Indiana Bloomington. And he has a whole team there who are absolutely phenomenal. And we recently received an ONR grant, so the Office of Naval Research, because they're very interested in understanding um, exposure in contaminated waters in terms of Navy divers. So they are looking at kind of updating and developing their exposure guidelines. I don't believe it's well understood at this point in time. It's very understudied. And so we're doing some work. The work is being conducted at Indiana Bloomington, um, examining if immersion in contaminated water, we're using some of the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons or PHs uh, dissolved in water, we're looking at how duration time can affect absorption, uh, dermal absorption, uh, looking at how the water temperature can modify that absorption. And then lastly, if wetsuits changes that dermal absorption as well. So this is really important for understanding you know, the exposure times for these Navy divers, because similarly to the firefighters, people assume because they're wearing some kind of clothing or, or PPE that they're protected. And that simply isn't the case. Thank you very much. I appreciate you talking to us about this research and, um, and spending some time to uh, educate our listeners on this. It sounds like a great line of work and look forward to seeing uh, where all this goes. Well, thank you for having me. And again, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the Boone Fire Department and Chief Isaacs, the Department of Public Health and Exercise Science and the College of Health Sciences for helping fund uh, this work. And a big thank you to our listeners. This podcast is supported by Appalachian State University's Beaver College of Health Sciences and the Blue Cross North Carolina Institute for Health and Human Services. For more information about our faculty and the research they are working on to improve health and wellness, please visit our website at healthsciences.appstate.edu backslash research. You can also learn more about our academic programs at healthsciences.appstate.edu. And 
about our Institute for Health and Human Services at ihhs.appstate.edu. Thank you again, and of course, stay well.